This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. J.J. Watt in the backfield. J.J. Watt, baby. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, my Q rating has never been higher, and it's real easy why. Because of the voice, I've been saying next to nothing. It's amazing how much more popular I am around the office place when nobody has to endure my opinions. Until now, on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, alongside Darren Urban, who's laughing right now. That won't be the case real soon. Danny Sarek over there, who's still traumatized by yet another incident in the parking lot as of this morning. Uh-oh. Another? I, Have I had an incident before? Well, you know, the whole parking stripe thing. We well, that was, that was more your issue. I was just agreeing. But yep. yes, it was. You saw my face this morning when I pulled into the parking lot. And when I went to turn, first of all, in the turn lane on that street that you turn off of, there were a couple of bike cops. And so then when I turned into the parking lot and I saw more of these like motorcycles and then there were big trucks and there was a truck not a fire truck but a truck from the fire department there was some random rv and i'm i just kind of stopped before i turned i'm like what is happening here but all the police officers looked rather happy so i wasn't too concerned that i was entering some sort of crime scene at work thank goodness well that makes one of us because the first thing i thought when i saw the flood of police entering the cardinals parking lot was that they had finally tracked down the perpetrators from nashville Danny and Darren for all the debauchery of a half week down on Broadway. <laughs> oh, that that time has long come and gone, Paul. But anyway, they pulled me in. That they were motioning me to go in, so I pulled in the parking lot. And there's just enough room for my car to get through the parked cars and everything else blocking the parking lot. And as I turn, all of a sudden, more bike cops start coming towards me, and there's nowhere for them to go. So I'm literally just sitting in my car, and I have this look on my face, like, "What the heck is going on?" And then I see Paul who managed to somehow park and is walking in front of my car and has this huge grin on his face as he looks at the confusion on mine. So then I had to park in the park right next to us in the parking lot. But then once I realized all those cars and everything had moved, I moved my car closer. But apparently it was preparation for the Super Bowl I guess okay. to make sure see, that they know how to transport I, the team I got to the, to the office at 8.30 when we're supposed to, so I didn't see any of that oh, stuff. Here we go. Here we go. And the reason I was smiling is I had parked about 10 seconds before the flood of vehicles showed up and occupied the entire parking lot. And I said to myself, man, I'm so glad I showed up before all these people. Who's this sorry person who showed up just after the cops showed up? <laughs> and, of course, it was Danny. Yours so truly. I'm so, yeah, smiling at your expense. Yeah, the Super Bowl, because so, there will be a team that, that uh, practices here. I believe it's the NFC team. But it will not be the Cardinals. No, it will not be the Cardinals. And we'll we'll probably be kicked out of the office for part of it. Mm. That usually happens. Is that going to make you really sad, Darren? No, it's not going to make me really sad. It'll probably make you really sad. Because I won't get to see your face. If there's one playoff team, and we'll get to the Cardinals here in a moment, if there's one playoff team you do not want to occupy this building, who would it be? Got to be the 49ers. Wouldn't that hurt just a little more? Cowboys for me. Cowboys. Oh, that's my answer. Don't want the stinking Cowboys around here. That's my answer. I change it. I don't want the Cowboys here. Is Craig Greeloo listening to me saying that? He will eventually. I don't want the Cowboys here. Okay. But to get back to the uh, other headline, and that is our segue. It will not be the Cardinals because instead of one of the seven playoff teams, the NFC, they're one of the five teams currently looking for a head coach, and in this case, a GM as well. As we got the news on Monday, not a surprise, at least show of hands. Anybody surprised? Absolutely not. I'm not even going to wait for you to put up your hand. After the Cardinals end the season with seven straight losses, they end up with a 4-13 and record. We know the numbers, and it comes down to productivity, comes down to wins and losses. Ever since the 10-2 and start, it's been a precipitous slide ever since. So it cost Cliff Kingsbury his job. There's no longer the longtime GM, Steve Keim, at the helm. Cardinals are currently looking and interviewing, as we speak, both positions. 
Darren, just your reaction. Uh, you were front row at the press conference featuring Michael Bidwell and the owner himself. I, I, I mean, for, for me, I was not surprised. I thought we were kind of headed in that direction. I've said this a few times, uh, both on the air and, and off to the side. Like, I've been through enough coaching change transition things where this is the vibe it felt like that that what was coming and that's what we ultimately ended up having and where it goes from here we'll see you know i, I like the fact that uh michael bidwell had some uh, even if he wasn't throwing out a bunch of names that we were going to hear at least he was throwing out like the thought process which was you know i don't care if we have an offensive or defensive coach i don't care if it's a ceo type or a play caller um, I, I would prefer to have the GM before the coach. Those kinds of things, I thought that were it was nice to hear those things and to get the, at least that part out of it. And then we'll kind of see where it goes from here. Look, if there's one thing we know, and we don't know a lot at, at this stage, it's that this team, this organization, when they recognize things are going the wrong direction, will pull the plug, regardless of the cost. You saw it, Steve Wilkes, after one year, a move was made. You saw 10 months after contract extensions were finalized that they paid the price to part ways with Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime. So it's called sunk cost and or in business fail fast. If something isn't working, get out as quickly as you can. And in this case, as Michael Bidwell said, change was needed, change was enacted. And I think we would all agree. Wouldn't you, Danny, I mean, look, for everything that – Cliff Kingsbury was, as a head coach, whatever it was, it was not working. It just wasn't effective enough to get the team out of the tailspin and the slide. And the same issues that they had at the beginning of the season were, for the most part, the same issues they had at the end of the season. And we were using the same verbiage, self-inflicted, et cetera. Not only that, but looking over the last couple of years, even though Kingsbury did take this team on the right track, for the first three years, you know, it was yep. with the exception of this last year, the pattern was for me looking at the home stretch of the seasons and how things kind of fell apart, especially these last two years where the Cardinals could not win at home. They could not win the final couple of games of the season, even this year when they were already out of the playoffs, but unable to string wins together, unable to create that momentum and get hot at the right time. And I think it's a combination of Kingsbury and Steve Kime of the type of depth you have on your team. And that was a big issue. Now, injuries do not fall on Cliff Kingsbury, of course. But the 49ers are winning with their third-string quarterback. Now, they've been mostly healthy otherwise and have gotten through those injuries because they've been healthy enough to get through those, which the Cardinals weren't that lucky. But depth was a big issue when it came to this team and who was relying heavily offensively on veterans who all got hurt. And then you were having to, because of that, from a money standpoint, having to rely on a lot of youth on your defense. And it just wasn't working for the Cardinals this year. And I think that's a part as to why you saw Kingsbury get fired and Steve Kime had his resignation accepted by Michael Bidwell. And look, the injuries were real. They ended up playing 81 different players, 11 different offensive line combinations by the time you finished that final game at San Francisco. I mean, you had four starting quarterbacks in a four-week span, second team to do that since 1950. I mean, there were historic anomalies going on. You had four different kickers this season. You were on your second long snapper. The Cardinals were clearing out their lockers on Black Monday, and Aaron Brewer walked in with his arm in a sling, your, your long snapper. That, that sort of said it all in terms of the injuries. But at the same time, I think we'd all agree this went way beyond the injuries. In fact, it, I think it went way beyond even the season. It, it was the entire calendar year, 2022. The off the field most definitely did impact on the field. Oh, yeah. And Zach Allen said as much at his locker before leaving. And hopefully Cardinals fans are going to see him again. But he made the comment, I have it here real quick, yeah, it was crazy with everything on and off the field. Hopefully we can clean all that up. There have definitely been too many distractions. And here's the thing. The players in that locker room are adults. So to a certain extent, it shouldn't have to be on the front office or the coaching staff and any organization to have to get these adults in order and understand that this is their job and they have to be professional and act a certain way. 
However, with the amount of off-the-field distractions, and that goes for players and coaches, and some of the behavior that was happening, and then you look at the same things happening week after week when you're talking about self-inflicting wounds, I think you have to be honest and you have to say at some point that that comes from the top and that comes from whether that's discipline or what, you know, making sure that you are voicing when things are important or not. And so whether that is completely fair or not, that does to a certain degree fall on the head coach and the general manager. And when you say that, you know what I think of? I think of the Hard Knocks episode after the New England loss. Cliff talking to the team in the locker room. And he said, and I I just found the quote, this may be a fault of mine, but I'm going to treat you like bleeping men. So we have to hold each other accountable. Ultimately, was that a fault of the head coach? Because accountability was a problem all year long. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could call it a fault. I mean, I guess, and you could make the argument of whose fault it is. I mean, in a in a vacuum, Cliff Kingsbury isn't wrong. I mean, he should be able to treat everybody like men, and they should be able to take care of their business. Uh, you know, I know, I know when when I'm overseeing people. I, I want to believe that they're going to take care of what they need to do, and I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to make sure that happens. But yeah. empower your employees, right? But there are guys that can't do that, and you know, I when you start talking about sixty guys in a locker room or however many by the time they were done, eighty thousand. Um, but if you're talking about sixty guys in the locker room, the math alone tells you that you're not going to be able to get away with that with every single person. And, and it's, it, it's not an easy way to do things, but at the same time, I, I don't flip it the other way. You know, I had a fan write in for the mailbag and talking about, they've got to go completely. You know, they got to go old school guy cracks the whip, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, I don't think that works either. You better find a mm-hmm. You better. Find, I mean, I'm not saying that you don't need somebody that's a little bit harder, but I'm telling you right now, I've been in enough locker rooms and enough locker rooms down the stre- down the last few years. If you come bring somebody in here who was most effective in like 1979, you're going to lose those guys quicker. I mean, and, and you nope. can look at the NFL yep. landscape, all these guys that tried to be Bill Belichick over that came off of his tree that all failed miserably. And most of the time, that was why. They tried to come in and be a hard ass, and you can't do that. Hey, and the Cardinals have been there and done that in recent history. That's ostensibly why Steve Wilkes was hired yep. in a lot of ways, coming off Bruce Arians where things might have gotten a little loose or so the thinking was. And here comes Steve Wilkes, a disciplinarian. And it's funny you say that because I'm having people say they need somebody like Bruce Arians who was hard on it. I'm like, <laughs> Bruce Arians wasn't that guy. Right. Bruce Arians was hard on the field, but he wasn't that no. disciplinarian. No. And you talk about Steve Wilkes. The reality was, and yeah, it started poorly, and there was a there was a lot that goes into the Steve Wilkes equation. Sure, but you and I both know Paul. You know, Danny wasn't here yet, but we we both know he he had already lost players by week two of the regular season. Yes, for for things that had nothing to do yes, with football. Correct. That fell under that disciplinary yes. category, and yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yep. You can't yep. you can't just come in and yep. do all that stuff without doing it the right way, or that's not going to work either. Yep. At the same time, and Drew Stanton talked about it on the Red Sea Report this week, you know, Bruce Arians is an elite leader of men, a leader of people, Bruce Arians. He's got his own distinct style. There's no doubt about it. But, for example, one thing he did, he had the accountability board. Yes. And on that accountability board is if you made a mental error, if you slacked or loafed, whatever they call it, they'd mark you up. Every name was up there. Larry Fitzgerald, Carson Palmer. It was on display. And so everyone knew, oh, guess what? We've done with a camp practice, and this rookie running back had five MEs. I remember doing a big red rage, and I forget his name. He was like a fourth-round rookie running back, and he was really shaken because he came in and he saw his name up there with like five MEs in the box. And he's like, I'm trying to make this team. And, he's, you know, and like a veteran actually was giving him a pep talk because he knew. And, but there's that accountability for everyone to see. And to what degree was that accountability missing, especially with this year's team? You know, Mike Garofolo this week had a report on NFL Network, and he said that both Adrian Wilson and Quentin Harris addressed the team in the locker room, or at least it was a team meeting over the past couple weeks of the season, the last couple weeks of the season. And according to Garofolo, the message was, quote, hey, we're coming down the stretch here. You guys need to work. 
and we need to work too because they might blow up the whole thing. We want to see guys who are willing to put in the work around here. And and then Garofolo went on to say that it was taken two different ways by players in the room, that some were perturbed by it a little bit, but other guys, veterans mostly, who have been successful already in their career and around the league, felt it needed to be said. Which, you know, I let that hang for a minute. Because, you know, if you're not getting that out of your players, why not? And I think that does ultimately fall on the head coach. So what does that mean in this head coaching search? I'm not exactly sure. Does that mean they're, I don't think they're going disciplinarian, but are they more likely to go with a proven former NFL head coach? Because your last two hires have not been NFL head coaches, at least until they got to the Cardinals. I think that's a fair question. There's just, this is obviously very different than talking about just searching for a new head coach. You're also searching for a new general manager, and that's ideally who Bidwell wants to hire first, and I understand why. But sometimes, if you have a head coach who other teams are wanting, if if he feels like that's the case, you might have to pull the trigger earlier on the head coach rather than a general manager. But there's just a lot of a lot of things that can't be decided until these two things are are made, at least from a general manager standpoint. And one is going to be when free agency hits because the Cardinals have more than 30 pending unrestricted free agents. That does include a J.J. Watt, but there's a lot of decisions that are going to have to be made about players that are brought back. And on top of that, the Cardinals have earned themselves the third overall pick in the draft. So there's a lot of things that are going to have to happen, and those decisions can't be made until you have a general manager and a head coach. So while you don't want to rush the process and you want to make sure that you are hiring the right guy for those positions and in a sense of how they will and have a good sense of how they will not only work together in a partnership, but how will they work as, you know, working with owner Michael Bidwell. But time is of the essence for these positions to be filled. In fact, Sean Payton uh, was on the herd and he had talked about how that's the most important thing to him in looking for the next gig is that triumvirate between owner, GM, head coach, the working relationship. And we were on the field before the game at the 49ers, and we were talking to a few people, and people who have been around the Niners for a long time. They said, you know, this is our most talented team, this this version of the since, you know, back in the Harbaugh-Trent Balky era, right? And, and those teams went to three straight NFC championship games. He said, but it's totally different vibe within the organization. Back then it was Harbaugh versus Balky. Yeah. Now it's Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch working closely together. And he said it's a totally different feel. It actually feels like a real team. Everybody's pulling in one direction instead of a really talented team that was always on the verge of exploding and eventually did. And so, uh, you know, that that is the goal. Can you find those people to fill those positions where one plus one equals three? It's it's not an easy thing because egos get involved and and. I understand that. I mean, I, I think the Cardinals had that to a, an extent with Bruce Arians and Steve Kime yep. when they were in their heyday. Agree. I think they loved the symbi- uh, symbiotic relationship that they had, and I and I think BA did not well. want to be the GM. He didn't want to be the GM, no. and that's the thing is like people talk about the Sean Paytons of the world. Well, Sean Payton wants to be able to work with his guy, but does Sean Payton want somebody that's going to basically do what he wants? I mean, yeah, that's still a working relationship, but that's different than than being, you know, one to one. Yep. So, I mean, I think those are some of the questions. I mean, people have asked about um, people have asked about uh, about Jim Harbaugh. You know, one of the knocks against Jim Harbaugh is is that he burns out quickly. Like he'll come in and then it just doesn't work. Those relationships don't work long term with him. He just it's just difficult to do. He's a great coach, but it's difficult to do. And uh, I mean, even he's having all the success at University of Michigan. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm from that area and I know I know of people who follow the Michigan program or fans of the Michigan program. And there are plenty of people that as as much success as he's had at Michigan, they're ready for him to move on. Wow. So wow. that's that's something else. You, I mean, one of the questions that resonated with me was the one and it's nothing new although it somehow caught a little bit of fire right before Cliff got fired, was 
the fact that no coach in organizational history where the Cardinals have been around more than six seasons. And Michael Bidwell was asked about that. And he, you know, he said, hopefully we have success with this next person. He didn't get real detailed and it was the end of the press conference. But you're going to have that if he wins consistently. And, and you know, are you going to get a shooting star who's going to burn bright and then flame out early? I mean, I, you don't really want that either. Although I will say this, and now I'm monologuing here. Sorry, Danny. I do think that there is a shelf life for most coaches. Mike Tomlin, Bill Belichick, those guys are, ex- are exceptions to the rule. But I think for the most part, messages, and we, I've seen it enough times. I mean, Bruce Arians' message faded by the end. Yeah, Ken Wisenhunt's yep. message faded at yep. the end. Yep. Guys start tuning them out because yep. they've heard it too much. And some of it was their own doing. We yeah. won't get into it now. But, but they, they made their own bed in their own locker room. In, in a certain way. What's interesting is I did a podcast recently with the Wolfley brothers, including oldest brother Craig Wolfley, former Steelers offensive lineman, is the analyst. And you're like that, a you're like a uh, honorary Wolfley, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, I'm sort of like the mascot, actually. You know, compared to the size of those guys, uh, basically I'm a little I'm a throw pillow. And so, um, does that count? What do you what what? Yes. Does that count okay, for the bingo I th- card? I think that don't would. put a poly we'll pencil it. neck in there. Don't do it. No. Anyway. The Steelers fans are so stinking spoiled that as the Steelers got sideways at the beginning of their season, midseason, then made a run at the very end, a lot of them were in favor of getting rid of Mike Tomlin. <laughs> Look, do you know how quickly Mike Tomlin would be hired by another NFL team? In a nanosecond. I mean, there would be a half dozen teams immediately with a contract offer if Mike Tomlin was ever put on the open market. I think something else you have to keep in mind, though, with both the GM and head coach hirings is who's going to get the most out of your franchise quarterback? Who is going to get the most out of Kyler Murray physically and his abilities on this contract? And also who is going to be someone that he's going to respect and learn from and get better under. And part of that, part of that is on Kyler Murray and, and that, and, and having that initiative. And we know that he has a drive to be great, but you have to also be willing to learn and to grow and, and not just as a player, but as a leader. And in his press conference, Michael Bidwell said that while they haven't talked about it, he would love to see Kyler do his rehab out here in Arizona. And after these two job openings, it makes so much more sense to want to have your quarterback here to start to build those relationships and that chemistry and that trust. This might be the aspect of the hiring process that I fear the most. How are you supposed to know whether the new head coach is truly going to connect and sync up with Kyler Murray? How are you going to know that? You're under the gun. You're competing against at least four other teams. You're trying to get maybe one of your top choices, your top prospect out there, and you got competition and time is of the essence and there's urgency. How do you know? Drew Stanton, going back to Red Sea Report again, told a story that when Bruce Arians interviewed in Chicago, he went to lunch with Jay Cutler. Okay, that makes sense, right? I mean, you know, hey, I'm going to go to lunch with a franchise quarterback and figure out if we click. In a a 90-minute lunch, if we have issues in 90 minutes, then we're probably going to have issues over the course of nine hours a day. So at some point, you know, if you're bringing in candidate X, you're going to have to meet with K1. And sit down, but how do you truly know? Well, and you're giving this guy a five-year contract, and how do you know five months into it they're not they're not at odds? Well, but but you can make the argument with all of that. You can make the argument: Are you going to get? How are you giving this guy a five-year contract if you because you don't know if he's going to be a good coach? How do you know? Why are you giving this guy a five-year contract? I mean, everything yeah, is there are a lot ev- of unknowns. You're there, right. There's there's going to be a leap of faith no matter what because you're bringing in somebody and you hope it works out. And every time you hire somebody, you 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 know you're you're thinking it's going to be the right person and as some of us in life have found out that's not always how it works so you know i i i, right. I agree it's funny that you bring up the kyler lunch not lunch but you know what i mean meeting yeah. with the coach because the amount of people that freaked out when michael bidwell said that he was going to talk to kyler about the potential coach hire and it's like yeah why wouldn't he for that exact reason and they're all making this assumption it's because you know, Michael's going to let Kyler pick the coach, which is not – this is not what we're talking about. And I can almost guarantee you that every other organization, when it comes to – even if you have your GM set and you're hiring an, a new coach, is going to meet with your franchise quarterback. So this is not something that is completely out of left field, left field for Michael Bidwell to say. 
I would think you would want your franchise quarterback to meet with the coach. Now, does that mean Kyler Murray's going to have the final say? No. No. But it's going to be important. <laughs> no. And I and I laugh. Now, did they give him Hollywood Brown, his quote best friend? They did. Sure. Why'd you quote that? They're besties. Right. Well, that's what they said. That when they made the trade. Oh. Now, I'm, I, I'm not quoting the two of them. I'm quoting the yeah. decision yeah, makers. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Okay. And, and then Cody Ford. Okay. All right. Maybe a little bit. They needed some offensive line help. Why not? He's good friends with Kyler. Resigned Zach Ertz, sure. who had that chemistry right off yeah. the bat with Kyler. Yeah. And you know what? This is my own theory. But if, if you're trying to help Kyler click with the locker room, and grow the leadership aspect, bringing in a Hollywood Brown, I think they also viewed as a bridge to the rest of the locker room, bringing in one of his best friends, and then hopefully it grows exponentially from there. I get that. But to say that he's going to have any sort of decision-making power on the next head coach and or GM, no, absolutely not. Just the symbolism of Michael Bidwell by himself at that press conference, to me, said it all. That's where the ultimate decision rests, right there. There was nobody else to put up there with him. I mean, yeah. you could have sat there. You, you don't, I don't I think you had not. a seat, Paul. You forgot to reserve one earlier in the day. Yeah. It was pretty no, crowded. No, you yeah, think after crowded. all these years, I'd actually figure that out, and I still make the same mistake. See, once again, self-inflicted, and uh, the same mistake at the beginning of the season, at the end of the season. But to go back to your earlier comment there, Danny, there's no doubt that a turnaround of the Arizona Cardinals starts with turning around the quarterback. Can we all agree that Kyler Murray, to some degree, has never been the same since the playoff loss. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. So I don't, I don't know if there's necessarily, if that's... Is it correlated? Correlation I'm not sure, or but cor- it's, causation, it's right? not false. No. no. And look, I've used this stat, I think I used it in our coverage right afterwards, but I'll say it again that, and this is just an analytic, but I think it illustrates pretty significantly his struggles. We all know the eyeball test. Once again, can we all agree that the downfield passing attack wasn't nearly as potent as years past, just never quite materialized. The DVOA deep throw stat, which is 16-plus air yards in 2021, I won't even give you the facts. Who cares? Kyler led all quarterbacks in DVOA deep throws, 16-plus yards. Do you know where he was when he got hurt in 2022? Let me guess, 27. Dead last. Oh. He was like 33rd. That's how many quarterbacks were able to qualify Boy, that's at that point. That's more than that's dead or last. Yeah, that's, that's how many had enough reps to qualify. So... You know, there are significant concerns about the state of the quarterback position where Kyler is. And I think we all – so if you're going to bring in a defensive head coach, whether it's Vance Joseph, whether it's D'Amico Ryans, I don't know, I'm throwing names out. What do you do? That defensive coach better have a heck of a name and a heck of a plan for the person who's going to handle the offense, right? It's, it's funny that we're back to where we were talking about. Now, granted, the quarterback was slightly different – at this time four years ago because you were talking about somebody having to build a Josh Rosen because at that point we didn't know for sure that they were going to take Kyler Murray. But it's the same thing. What are you going to do? How are you going to develop that young quarterback? Now, Michael Bidvo, again, made very clear. He doesn't, he, he doesn't have any problem signing a, a defensive head coach. He made very clear he doesn't mind signing a CEO type of head coach. Well, then all of a sudden your coordinators become super important and your offensive coordinator is really important. And then you add into it what we've already been talking about was not only does the head coach need to click with your quarterback, but so too do the, does the coordinator and the, and the quarterback coach. You know, Cam, uh, Cam Turner is still under contract. He's got a pretty decent relationship with Kyler. Would he be a possibility to be retained as like quarterback's coach? If you, I, I don't see necessarily him being the coordinator but we'll, we'll see what happens i have a logistical question for you for the the coaches that are under contract mm-hmm. if the new head coach comes in and says i want to bring in my own guys mm-hmm. at these specific spots mm-hmm. i mean michael bidwell still owns He'll, how, how do those contracts work they'll here's how they're going to work the new coach would come in and say <laughs> well if you're making me your head coach i have control over my staff Michael Bidwell says, okay. Right. And then when he comes in and says, I want to replace these seven coaches that are still under contract with my own guys, and Michael Bidwell says, okay. And then they're under contract. Like a player, you just you pay out what you owe? Well, and- not like a player because usually players don't have guaranteed contracts. Coaches do. So you would have to pay. The, the money that Michael Bidwell essentially will likely have to pay out for this coaching change is still going to be more than what Cliff, just what Cliff Kingsbury is getting. So, really? 
Wow. Oh, yeah, the coaches still get their money. Well, sure, I know, but does that really add up to what Kingsbury got, $30 million, Oh, no, 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 no. What are you I'm, saying? I, my point is, is let's say he owes $25 million to Cliff Kingsbury. It's going to be $25 million plus whatever he owes the oh, other thing. Sure. I'm not Absolutely. saying no, yeah. the amount right. to the assistance okay. is, thought, yeah. adds up to that $25 okay. million. No, 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 no. Okay, all right, gotcha. Well, let's just, let's just address the elephant in the room right now here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Is Sean Payton a possibility or not? Feasible, doable, plausible, or not? Sean Payton, next head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Danny, go. Plausible. There's a couple of things of he is still under contract with the Saints, so you're going to have to... How much is too much in your mind? Uh, First round pick? Too much. First round pick 2024. Mm, she's, she's mulling it, people. You can't see it, but she's I just, mulling. I don't. I. I don't. I. I think with we need the Jeopardy the, I th- I think, thinking music. That's true. I think with the state of where this team could be, with so many question marks, personnel wise, it is a lot to give up a first round pick in the next few years. In my mind, for a head coach. See, to me, you can't give up the third overall. But to me, if you're hiring Sean Payton, you're expecting immediate results. I'm sure Sean Payton will be expecting immediate results, in which case I would th- hope that the 2024 first-round pick isn't nearly as good as the 2023 first-round pick. Except your franchise quarterback is an unknown as to how much of well, the 2023 season he's going to play. You, bingo. All, that's all true. I, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't have bingo. I'm sorry to yeah, confuse those listening with the bingo me. card. I was agreeing with Paul. It, that, Again, you have to decide how important Sean Payton is for you. I mean, it, well, and it, also, what 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 kind of control does he really want well, of that kind of GM? That's, that's and all, all part of. But but if we're if we're starting if we're talking about compensation, then then Michael Bidwell has already decided he, Sean Payton's going to get the kind of control that he wants and and get the kind of contract he wants. So now we're talking about the compensation. But I mean, I, I think there's a lot of hurdles to getting a Sean Payton right now. A lot of hurdles. Is it feasible? Yes. Do I think it's likely? I, I have a hard time saying that. And I agree with you. But I guess the question I would throw out, what is culture worth to an organization? Michael Bidwell made a comment to the media to start the week on Monday, and he said, you know, we got to make sure the culture of the locker room is focused on maximum effort. There's that word, culture. So, okay, where do you get it? Where does it come from? Does it automatically and only come from the head coach? And if so, Sean Payton has a proven track record of obviously establishing a winning culture. So there again is the question, what is it worth? I think to a certain degree it comes from the head coach, and to me that's more of the accountability that we've talked about. I think – culture truly stems from the leaders in the locker room your peers who you are sitting next to who you are playing with I think that holds a lot of weight in terms of the culture actually sticking and actually making a difference the coaching staff can can do whatever is in their power but it's up to the players to buy into that and to buy into each other so yes the the coaching staff absolutely and Darren was talking about the different types of coaches that you bring in that obviously plays a big part in the the culture that is in the building but to me it's really up to the players about deciding to buy in and to actually give into that culture because at the very beginning at the very end of Bruce Arians you're right it was it was time and a change was needed but at the very beginning of Bruce Arians I remember talking having the conversation on Black Monday 2017 after the season and Bruce Arians retirement had become known the night before in Seattle. And the Cardinals got the win and sent him out victorious with a big win at Seattle. But I remember Valdir the next day, a few of us were around his locker, were talking to him, and he said, the only reason that we went to Seattle in 2013 and won against that juggernaut team coming off a 58 nothing loss the year before was because of Bruce Arians. Oh, I agree. Because of all week, Bruce Arians telling us, we're going to go up there and bleeping, bleep, you know, and he set the tone early. He was the one who built that confidence and said, we're not only going to win, we're going to go pound them with 22 and 23 double. That's right. Is that on the bingo card or is that Wolf? I think that's that's, Wolf bingo. That would be a Wolf bingo card. 
And and you did it despite Carson Palmer throwing four picks. Yes, right. And most teams wouldn't yeah. have been able to overcome it. So where yeah, did they, that mental toughness come you're, from? You're right. Uh, look, I, I'm not I'm not saying that that can't come, but I I I think I think some of this has gotten to be too simplistic in terms of uh, of some of this. I mean, if you get the right coach, it's going to make a huge difference. There is no question. But I also think that they assembled a pretty nice roster in 2013. Yeah. And yep. you also had Carson Palmer, who, okay, we're talking about going up to Seattle on Christmas Eve or whatever that day was and beating a, a great Seattle team uh, in week – that was the next last week of the season? I think that was – I want to say it was Don't the know. next last – It was right it at was the end late, of the season. It was I, late, I, in the just season. Just based on the weather, well, I remember it. Well, it was yeah. Christmas Eve. I mean, okay. it had to be okay. right near yeah. – But um, – if you flash forward to week six or week seven, when my Twitter timeline was filled with people saying, why aren't they playing Drew Stanton? Carson Palmer is terrible. That's I didn't right. hear all these people That's saying right. Bruce Arians was yeah. the second coming. That's right. And it turns out the reason behind all those interceptions early was the receivers were screwing up a lot. They had a lot of read routes that they were messing up. And, uh, you know, Carson took the hit and no, never yeah. called out his receivers, right. you know. But to your point about, this culture thing, okay, um, you know, there's a reason Sean Payton left New Orleans. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you didn't have Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. There's a reason Sean McVay might pull the plug in the Rams. He doesn't have the dudes anymore. Yep. So, eh, to and me, they don't want to go through a rebuild. Yeah. And, and to me, honestly, and I had this debate with I forget who it was, uh, the GM hiring, I think, is twice as important as the head coach hiring. Because talent wins. Ultimately, talent prevails. And if you can, you got to get back to the days of pulling David Johnson out of round three, Tyron Matthew out of round three, all pro safety, Buda Baker out of round two. You have to get back to these days. That team that went to the Super Bowl in 2008 was predicated in the 2004 draft. Larry Fitzgerald, Carlos Dansby, Darnell Dockett in the first three rounds, Anquan Bolden the year before in round two. You got to get back to those days. So if you're hiring for the GM, You have to find the candidate with the best eye for talent. Here's my question for the two of you. When you have, not not looking at the list of pending free agents, the players you know that are going to be back and on offense, Kyler Murray, James Conner, Hollywood Brown, Rondell Moore, and on defense, Buda Baker, Marco Wilson. I I mean, I, I understand the thought that this team has the talent and isn't too far off the rails if you make the right decisions. But I think about all the decisions that are going to have to be made in the trenches on your offensive and defensive line and the depth they're going to need and your secondary. Is the Are the Cardinals on the verge of being in a rebuild year? I'd say that's, that's plausible, if, if doable, you're, if, likely. If, if, you're, yes. if you're a GM or a head coach candidate and you are interviewing with the Cardinals – is this a rebuild year for you? I mean, for me, the way I look at it is, yes. I know Michael Bidwell says we're not as broken as everybody thinks and we can turn it around. And I do agree there's always the possibility of turning it around. The problem right now is there's so many moving pieces. To sit here in the early part of January with no coach and no GM, it's just impossible to really get a good handle on what's happening. You know, like We can talk about you know what you do with DeAndre Hopkins, okay? DeAndre Hopkins has a $30 million cap hit next year. You're going to need to do something. He's going to want a better contract, assuming he wants to be here, all that good stuff. But if you move on from him, you still take a $22 million cap hit. Mm. So it's you'll save some cap money, but not a lot. And if you get rid of him, that's a big cap number to have for a guy that's not there. Um, you don't know what's going to happen with your quarterback. You do have cap space, more or less, and that's even if you move on from DeAndre Hopkins, but it's because you don't have half a roster. They're all going to be free agents. And once you start signing those guys, even if you were signing them to minimum deals, which you're, you probably aren't going to do most of them, you know that eats up the cap space pretty quick. So it's not like you've got all this room where you could just go out and add like four really awesome pieces with all this cap space because you've got to actually have a roster. So that that's also something to consider if somebody yes. is if you're thinking about taking. One of those two positions that are open, those are things you have to consider. So that begets the next question. Ready Ooh, for this? Good word, beget. I don't have that on the bingo card either. 
Does that give an internal candidate an inherent advantage in this hiring process right now? If it was a typical offseason and there were only a handful of potential free agents on your own roster that you had to decide whether to extend or not, then okay, you could be a newcomer and arrive to the organization, watch some film. But is it realistic to think that the new GM, if it's an outside candidate, is going to come in and have to make 30-plus decisions on the future of your own players? Wouldn't an Adrian Wilson or a Quentin Harris have an inherent advantage in that process? Unless Michael Bidwell feels that because of all these decisions that have to be made, he would want to bring someone in who has more experience in that role. Quentin Harris and Adrian Wilson have done a great job in the years that they have been with the Cardinals. They've been in the front office for years. It's not to say they're they're new to this side of the game, but neither of them have been at the top before. And maybe this is, is the right time, Michael feels, to promote one of them. I just don't see how you internally hire both a GM and a head coach. If you are trying to change the culture and you're trying to change things, and internally, I mean, there, there there's one name that we can assume will probably be that internal interview that has not happened yet. Um, I just don't see how you make internal hires at both positions. And we're talking about the defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph. Yeah, I mean, yes. he, Vance, I didn't know if my yeah. Vance, Vance will get okay. He, yeah. he acknowledged he'd be interviewed, but I, I don't see. I agree with Danny. I don't see both of them. I mean, you, you just never know. You you don't know, but but again, it goes back to like the Vance thing is a great point when we were talking about the other assistant coaches. Like, if Vance is here, then the chances go way up that a chunk of this staff might be retained. Yep. If he's not here, there's yep. a good chance most yep. of them won't be here. And if you're trying to decide which players are part of the problem and which players are part of the solution, who's better equipped than Vance Joseph? He knows firsthand. He's been here four years. So I can see where that's an advantage for Vance Joseph in this whole coaching equation. He can walk right into that interview and say, okay, here's the list. Is that on the bingo card when I shuffle the papers? No. He can say, here's the list. These players I want back. These players, it's going to be addition by subtraction. Get rid of them. Don't re-sign them. That's because he knows. For sure. So, you know, by the way, the candidate I have an eye on for GM, the external candidate, thanks for asking, Malik Boyd. Darren, tell us about Malik Boyd, who was a Cardinal scout, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then assistant director of pro scouting. Four, five, six years ago, he left to go to the Bills. Has he, he only been the with the Bills He's ever only since? been with the Bills, okay. but he's been through them since, obviously, since they built back up to what they are right now. Malik's a great guy. I got to know him as a scout and then in the personnel department. and um, Great communicator. Good communicator. And you would have somebody that would have an, a, a knowledge of this building. Yep. But also someone who's been elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, again... And, and, and he has relationships with Adrian Wilson and Quentin Harris. You know, that's always, that's the other big part of all this too is for me, I mean, we talk about the coaching staff, what happens to the scouting staff and the personnel department with a new GM? You know, I, I, I've only covered this team with internal GM hires. So there's always been kind of a stability there. There's always been scout changes and a handful of personnel moves um, or you know, that kind of stuff, but it's, there's never been like this bloodletting and you wonder if an outside GM coming in does something like that. You know, if, if Adrian or Quentin aren't getting the, don't get the job and they don't get hired elsewhere, as we know, Quentin Harris is, uh, the Titans are going to talk to him for their open GM job. If one of them or both of them is still here, do they remain in the personnel department? It would be kind of funny because, you know, they worked with Malik once upon a time, and then he now he'd be the boss. And if if that were to happen, right. and and again, we're not we don't know if Malik Boyd is going to get interviewed. Um, Michael Bidwell did not bring up any names other than Adrian and Quentin Harris. Uh, you know, obviously, there's right before we came on the air, Jim Trotter, the NFL Network, did report that the the Cardinals are going to interview Jerry Reese, the former Giants general manager. So, um, you know, those those things are going to continue to 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 filter out i'm sure as we go the names will be out there michael bidwell won't say them the cardinals won't say them but the names will be out there because of the reporting and and we'll see what direction it goes yeah, if you've been scoring at home 
According to the national reports, Cardinals have requested permission to interview Bears assistant GM Ian Cunningham, Niners director of pro personnel Rand Carthon, Niners assistant GM Adam Peters, and then Tennessee director of player personnel Monty Osenfort, I believe. Uh, and then Malik Boyd's name is out there, but there has been no report that he officially has anything scheduled. And then the Jerry Reese one. And then the, the Jerry Reese one, yep, today, as yes. of today, yep. And so that's the latest we know on that front. And at least I think also Jim Trotter said it does appear that the Cardinals are going headfirst initially into the GM interviews. Which is what Michael said he yeah, wanted to yeah. do, which makes sense to me. I, I'm, I'm a believer in having your GM in place to help hire the head coach. I agree. So – Look, um, there's that, and then there's also the Peter Schrager report uh, earlier today or 24 hours ago about how he spoke to Cliff after uh, Cliff got the news. And Schrager went on to say, and I'm quoting loosely here, that Cliff told him that Mr. Bidwill was, quote, incredibly classy, brought him in, they had an emotional farewell. And then Schrager went on to say that Bidwell and Cliff had no beef by any means. And uh, that Cliff indeed will get paid out the entirety of his five-year extension. The way Schrags pay, uh, explained it was that Cliff will get paid every two weeks until 2027. I mean, how about that? It doesn't really surprise me that Cliff went out on good terms. He he's not. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that would harbor a whole lot of judge judgment. And and to be honest, I, I'm sure there's a big part of Cliff that feels like okay things weren't perfect here for me and I, I, I got a little bit of a raw deal but I'm sure there's also plenty of Cliff questioning things that he did and, and wishing he'd done better and he said it after the game the other day you, you got to go through this stuff to learn I mean he's still relatively young jerk is like 10 years younger than me so like he's got plenty of time to to coach and, and improve on what happened here I, I tell you I'll just say this real quick you know we did his tv show the last couple of years and uh, actually all his years, and uh, I cannot tell you how professional and accommodating and how self-deprecating and intelligent his sense of humor is. Yeah. Really funny guy. And when you saw them at 10-2 and two last year and you, know, you saw a little bit more of the sense of humor come out, he was smart enough to know when he could display it and when he couldn't. But if you sat in those press conferences and you – was different. He, you know, he, he would always have little one-liners here and there, a lot of times at his own expense – you know, there were things we were coming. It happened again at the 49ers. He's we're coming out at the halftime locker room, and fans are yelling stuff at him. And I mean, you know, and he's he's smiling and waving. He's taking it in, and I mean, always good natured. Unlike anything I've ever experienced with any head coach at any time. That that was the point I was going to make. Is for whichever teams, however long we've covered the three of us. I'm sure that we've come across head coaches who aren't necessarily rude, but understandably so. Maybe don't go out of their way to really form connections with media members or other employees in different departments who aren't on the football side of things. And that is so far from the truth with Cliff Kingsbury. And I think because of that, it trickles down and it's true with every coach that was on his staff. And the way that our building is set up, it's not uncommon to run into Cliff or another coach around the building and one of the cafeterias or something like that. And they are so friendly and and not in the sense of just saying hey how's it going you know casualties but cliff knows people's names and will have conversations with them not just about football but just about life and other things and he was always enjoyable from my aspect of things to be around and to talk to no matter how the previous game had gone no matter the tough questions we might have asked him because he understood the role that we were in and what we had to ask of him and i thought that he was respectful of that and you know regardless of how you feel he handled the job on the field um he was for me someone who was really great to just interact with on a daily basis around the facility kind of jumping on that last point that you just made it that he was respectful of what we did um especially for somebody like me um i I had a chance to to send him a a thank you text and he responded in in a very cool way and just saying that he felt like I treated every the team and him fairly the whole time, which, look, I, I know fans out there have, have said things to me over the years and stuff like that. It is, a, it is a stranger situation for me in this role than maybe early in my career when I covered this team for newspaper. It's a, it's a little bit different when you're with a team. I understand that. And I am fortunate 
thank you to ownership here and, and people in, in my department that are above me that want me to try and cover this team like I once did as a media member, the best I can. I mean, obviously, there are, there are certain lines there, but I try and do it the best I can. And I think I do a pretty good job about it. But when new coaches come in, that's a little bit odd for them. And I know when Cliff came in and there were some discussions early, and I, I think there was like a little bit of pause, like, wait a minute, we have a guy in the building who's going to be kind of writing some of these things. Um, and yet I never got anything but cooperation from Cliff Kingsbury you know, was he super open? No. I remember when I wrote the story about him, the, my kind of big intro to Cliff Kingsbury story, and I got a couple interviews done, and I went to talk to him about him. And one of them was when he was with the Patriots and how he basically had morphed the year he was injured into a quality control coach. And he was like, who told you that? And I'm like, well, I'm a reporter. I talk to people. Um, he didn't really want to get into it, but that's, that's not really where he wanted to go. But he never said, don't write it or, Hey, I don't want that out there. And, and again, I, like Danny said, I, we could ask questions that not all coaches would appreciate team media asking. And I don't think they were out of bounds, but that doesn't mean coaches don't get upset about it. And I've been around enough coaches that have been like that. So have you, Paul. Yep. And I just feel like Cliff, I want to give him kudos for that. Again, it doesn't change how it went on the football field but it it means something to us and the fact that we all have similar sentiments makes me to believe that what we the reports we heard from peter schrager and from what michael bidwell said in his press conference that i i would believe that there really was no disconnect between the two of them and that they both understood what needed to be done and and you know leaving on good terms all things considered well michael bidwell said he never seen a coach work that hard Right, that was one of his comments, fair. and yeah. I think we'd all yeah, just you from the outside looking in. Ethic. I mean, it was. Uh, Although so. Danny never did come in that week to work out with you, Cliff don't know at that four in the morning. You don't know that I never showed up at no, four fifteen in the morning. Here's here's why I don't know because you would have been, I would have been the first person you walked in and told, "See, I did this." That Were you there, true. Darren? No, That's but true. I was here. I would have done that. Yeah, you would have done that. So I that, missed my opportunity. So he bookended it. He, he started this podcast by saying he was here an hour or so before you. <laughs> and then he ended it by saying, once again, you weren't there early enough to, to make it happen, Danny. So, And I don't, I definitely don't want to take the heat off of Darren. But before we wrap this up, I do want to say, Paul, that for the second straight week, surprisingly, you have only <laughs> not, given us not, one, not additional, surprisingly. one additional X on the bingo card. I, I'm beginning to wonder if he's like intentionally changing up. Did his... you somehow see one of either mine, Darren, or Omo's bingo not, cards? I have not seen them. have not, but uh, I have self-scouted well, today, my own game. I will this. say today, yeah. today yeah. you gave us the... Yep. Darren asked for this to be on the bingo card. Right. The short guy reference when talking about being <laughs> oh. on a podcast with the Wolfley brothers. Yeah. What that, that was what we crossed off. What I did was, uh, after playing the 49ers, I did what Kyle Shanahan does, and I broke my own tendencies. <laughs> That'll do it for this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.